We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, everyone. So I am delighted to be in conversation today with Dr. Melissa Sell, who is a friend, an ally, a colleague, and somebody that I learned about years ago, actually through a beloved patient of mine, when I was beginning to explore through many, what I would describe as karmic avenues, German new medicine. I still call it German new medicine. I know it comes by different you know names now, but I'll just, for our purposes, refer to it that way. Several years ago, principally through my first husband's mother, Sharky. And when I first heard about German New Medicine, I was not rejecting, but I guess like somewhat dismissive. 
because I felt like, oh yeah, it helps to know about like the psychological problems, you know, behind an illness, but we really need to address things on the physical level, right? So the vitamin C drips and the this and the that, let's say we're talking about cancer. This is before I met Nick Gonzalez. And I came to re-encounter it and to take a very deep dive. And to this day, it remains the paradigm I first turn to when I encounter the seemingly, I don't know, irresistible split with the body, right? Like when we have the symptoms that we don't want to be having. And I think that what I want to dive into, Melissa, is the ultimate, you know, what we call like the replacement fallacy, right? So like, if you say that a virus is not the cause of illness, and if you say that there's no such thing as an invisible particle, well, then what is making us sick? You know, I see sick and I require an explanation. And of course, that isn't a requirement, you know, in the questioning of the dogma. However, German new medicine does furnish that response, you know, and in fact is one of the only, I think, models that does. So I would love to get sort of, I don't know, like a high level introduction to this modality and methodology, because I know that you come from, so we, we share sort of, you know, like functional medicine, holistic medicine, integrative medicine, sort of early training, both of us. And you have walked away from that. I consider you like the teacher at this point, certainly for me and anyone I might recommend to of this modality. And you've walked deep into it. And there was a reason, you know, because it made sense to you on a level that these other models didn't. And I think it's because you believe that the body doesn't make mistakes that we're not at war and that there isn't fundamentally weakness, right? And dysfunction at the core of our illnesses, right? So I think that German new medicine, I know you would agree, is it's not terrain theory, it's certainly not germ theory. It's like its own path. So if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, the premise that sits on and why that has appealed to you to the extent that you've really devoted your vocational career, you know, to spreading the word and supporting people in this model of experiencing their symptoms and their relationship to health and the body. So tell us a bit about it. Give us an intro. Totally. So yeah, I've gone through each of the phases of, I was raised in just the traditional germs cause disease. You just don't even ever think about it. Of course, someone is expressing symptoms and someone else catches it. Just no question at all. And then I moved into, you know, the chiropractic model of understanding the immune system and health and nutrition that, oh, there's stuff I can do to prevent my body from developing symptoms. And so that was a step in the way of empowerment. I'm like, okay, so it's not simply that I am a sitting duck just waiting to encounter a germ. There's stuff I can do to become stronger. But in that model, I did see people who were doing all of the right things. They, you know, were living toxin-free as best they could. They were eating all the right foods. And then they'd have a diagnosis. And my foundations would be trembly because it didn't make sense to me, you know. And when I encountered this body of work, my mind was blown. And immediately I was like, oh, it's this. This, it made more sense. So even in chiropractic, chiropractic is a really great field, great profession. And it's based in philosophy that the body knows what it's doing. The body doesn't make mistakes. The body is ancient. The body is wise. The educated mind has been coming up with thousands of theories, but doesn't really know why the body does what it does. And so 
I was really rooted in that. That made perfect sense to me. Like I would spend nights reading the the green books of this philosophy. And like, just, I had like some really existential mind blowing moments. But when I came across Dr. Hammer's discovery, I was like, this brings it full circle. This allows us to see that what we thought was a material cause. So even a toxin is still materialism. It's something from outside in, outside problem causing an inside symptom. But through Dr. Hammer's experience, which I always like to share with people, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, he had a shocking trauma. He lost his 17-year-old son. He had always been healthy, no cancer in his family, all of that. And he just knew that there was some type of connection between the loss of his son and the testicular cancer that he developed. And he went on to study patients and to talk with them and hear their experiences and a pattern, you know? So what is, you know, genius is pattern recognition. And so he started noticing these patterns. He started seeing, so not only, you know, even the idea of, okay, psychosomatic, something stressful happens, it suppresses the immune system, and then the cancer can take over. That's what I believe for many years. And what he found though, was that every man who had testicular cancer specifically had a loss, lost a child, lost a loved one. And the testicular cancer was the response. And for women who had glandular breast cancer, they, every single one had a worry, a profound worry for a loved one. Everyone who had lung cancer had a death fright where they thought they were going to die. And so this whole system started to emerge to his mind that there is meaning behind what the body is doing, that it isn't erroneous. It's not a mistake. It's not an accumulation of toxins in a bag that the body has walled off. It is a meaningful adaptation. And that what would nature do? It makes sense that if you lose offspring, that nature would enhance the testicle or that if you were afraid of dying, that your body would enhance your ability to absorb oxygen, to get out of that. And he found that at first he thought it was just for cancer, but as he kept studying and observing, he saw that it's for a sneeze, it's for acne, it's for a hemorrhoid, that every tissue in the body is associated with an experience. And that when we have a shock, when something catches us off guard, that we are unable to, we weren't prepared for it. It was unexpected in that moment. We felt all alone. Our body is equipped with the ability to adapt our tissues in a moment in order for us to survive that shock. And if it's just a one-time thing, you know, you threw it, it's not a big deal. You have a cough, you have a sneeze. But if we keep reliving the conflict, if we're living in an unnatural, unbiological environment where we're constantly confronted with these shocks, something's unresolved, something about our life is not working, that symptom's going to keep on going. And that when we can trace it back to the original shock and find a solution that we can resolve and heal from whatever it is that we're dealing with. And so my finding this and then seeing it for myself. That's the cool thing about this. This is empirical. This is something you can see in yourself today. You could have proof of the five biological laws of how conflicts operate, how your biology adapts to better suit your environment today. And you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to do any you know, professional studying. You can see it. And that for me was like the biggest thing was my acne and seeing that it wasn't about the dairy and it wasn't about my gut bacteria and it wasn't about, you know, poisons. It was about feeling attacked or feeling soiled, caused my body to build a little shield. And that is what the acne process is. So that for me, I was like this, I was completely blown away and 
has continued to prove itself to me again and again and again. So this is the system. Like if we're going to end COVID, everyone, in my opinion, needs to know this, needs to be aware of this and to start observing it in their own experience. I think one of the most powerful dimensions of it is the specificity of the impact of stress, right? Because anyone who has considered something other than the deterministic model of health, like, oh, my bad genes or my like, whatever, bad luck led me to have this horrible experience knows that so-called, you know, quote unquote, stress plays a role, but it really dilutes itself into this like impractical consideration pretty quickly, right? Like, oh, I guess I was just stressed. So, you know, I got sick because my body wanted to slow me down, you know, and wanted to show me to take care of myself. Or I guess I was just stressed. And, and like you said, you know, I, I messed with my immune system. And, and so I developed this, you know, adrenal fatigue. And that's why I have this or that, you know, gives you nothing to work with. And it's not actually empowering. And one of the reasons why I find this model so helpful is that it extinguishes fear pretty immediately and allows you to unite in curiosity with your body and your body's biological process, the connection to the psycho-spiritual, psycho-emotional, psychological underpinnings. And it gives you something to focus your attention on, which I actually think is one of the more powerful vectors of actual control we have in our life. So you reference the five biological laws. And I wonder, I mean, you teach entire programs, you know, on this, you have a very complicated chart behind you. So I know that it is not easy to reduce. I also know that this is one of your many gifts is that you can translate very complex material into lay language pretty easily. And so I wonder if you could sort of tour us through like the elevator pitch five biological laws, because that's part of where this specificity comes in and that the conflict, right. Is not just like, there's a reason that, you know, if, if 10 different people develop hair loss, right. It's part of their specific narrative, why they did, but it's also, they share this common conflict, right? So it's like your story meets human biology in a generalized way. And I think the laws are what help us to decode that, right? Definitely. Yeah. It's a system. It's a map and it's just, it's so useful. And when you understand the map, you know exactly where to go and what tissues that you're dealing with. And so my elevator pitch is I've actually summarized the, the five biological laws in five words. We've got the cause, the course, the categories, the critters and the core. And so the cause this is the shock. This is the thing that caught you off guard. You weren't prepared for. It was sufficiently alarming to you in that moment. Your body exceeded your threshold to handle it. You know, and that's the thing too, where it comes when we look at the lifestyle modifications and how, you know, when I was adjusting people and telling them to eat healthy and they would, they would do better. Like they would get healthier and how well you slept last night, how well nourished you are how much you've exercised. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel more able and capable of handling shocking things when you're like well taken care of? And so that allows us to understand why health modifications 
and interventions and lifestyle changes help us to improve our health because we are less susceptible to these shocks. But everyone, no matter if you're the healthiest, you could be the healthiest, eat the cleanest of all the people. And still, if you have a sufficient shock that exceeds your you know, ability to handle it in that moment, your body will activate a biological program. And it doesn't matter if you are toxin-free, if you are you know, the cleanest eater, you will develop what we call cancer if the biology requires it. If it has deemed that in order for you to survive this shock, we need these extra tissue cells. And so that's to get out of the mindset that, you know, if you just cleansed more, if you just ate cleaner, it's the shock. It caught you off guard. It was more than you could handle. Your body stepped in and your biology adapted in a very specific way. So we've got the psyche brain organ, the psyche. It's all of you. It is your, it's not just your thinking mind. It's the sensory apparatus that picks up on everything that's happening in your world. It's also the soul. It is the shock to your soul. And so when that happens, it automatically, there's an adaptation cascade. So there's an impact in the brain. The brain changes its metabolism in particular area, depending on which organ needs to adapt in order for you to survive. You know, we've all had that moment where you've taken a bite of food, either you didn't chew it enough or it was too you know, big of a piece and something stuck in your throat. Like, what do you need in that moment more than anything? You need either a wider throat or more mucus. And so your body knows exactly which button to press, which alarm emergency adaptation program to activate. And so it activates it. And either your throat gets wider or you produce more salivary juices so you can slide it down or spit it up. How brilliant is that? And then once it's through, the body goes through a repair phase to set it back to normal. So we have the psyche, the shock itself, the brain, there's an impact in a particular region. We can actually see this. Dr. Hammer has an objective criteria for all of this work that you can see it on a brain scan, that there is a circle. It's actually a sphere, but it appears as a circle in a certain area of the brain, indicating that there's been a biological conflict shock and this tissue is adapting. And then also on the organ level. So that's the first biological law that depending on what happens, the content of your conflict, a specific biological special program activates an adaptation cascade. Now, the second biological law, this is the course. It's like, what happens? We have the shock, the body shifts into heightened fight or flight, sympathetic mode. Our hands go cold. Your mind is preoccupied thinking about the problem. You know, you're not able to sleep at night. You wake up at 3 a.m. with the problem on your mind. You're in a conflict. Your body is actively adapting to this unresolved situation in your life. And so during that time, there are tissue changes happening. Either there's tissue loss, tissue growth, or there is functional loss. So something's happening. Then when you resolve it, you get the phone call that everything's okay, that you know the child you were worried about, their home safe, the money came through, oh, you're, you know, you got the job, whatever is that relief moment, oh, then the body shifts into the repair phase. So whatever was adapted during the conflict phase, you know, what goes up must come down. And so we have this normal homeostasis we want to return to. So if we built up extra tissue cells during the active conflict, so we could produce more digestive juices. Now those cells need to be broken down. That tissue needs to be decomposed so we can go back to our normal rhythm. And so that's what's happening during what we call the healing phase or the repair phase. This is restoration. This is the body needs to set itself back to its standard. And during that time, your body is in a relaxed state. It's in vagotonia. So we're in this parasympathetic mode, low energy, very, very tired, very fatigued. This is when people think they are sick. And this is one of the biggest misconceptions, one of the most 
brilliant things that this does is it allows us to reframe what we think sickness is. Oh, and people in this community, I, I recently went to Vancouver and did a bunch of seminars and met with like a ton of people who are like living, living GNM. They live and breathe it, known it for 15 years. It's just part of how everybody talks. And it was the coolest thing. Oh, I'm in a healing phase. Yeah. You know, I had a resolution. Oh, I had a stink conflict, an indigestible morsel. They get it. They know that diarrhea, that vomiting, that all of these things are indications. You went through something, you resolved it. And now your body is in that repair phase. When you get to the deepest point of that repair phase, there's a big squeeze. This is when the body squeezes the edema out of the brain, out of the organ level, when your body tissues are changing back again to that normal respiration cycle. There's, it's called the epicrisis. This is a heart attack. This is a stroke. This is a seizure. This is a sneeze. This is the, the point of this maximum contraction. We then shift into the second phase of healing, which is the continued scarification of the tissue. And then we're back to our normal day-night rhythm. And so that's the second biological law. And knowing where you're at in that course will help you to say, oh, yep, haven't resolved that conflict. My hands are still cold. I'm still active with it. I need to find a solution. And this is one of the things that I feel like people have been so deprived. This information has been around since the 80s. It's no longer new. And that's why Dr. one of the reasons Dr. Hammer changed the name of this, he's like, this is not new anymore. And in fact, it's not new at all. It is ancient. This is the oldest old, but what is old is new again, because we've lost our way. And that people, when we have symptoms and you go into the, do your doctor is the one that should have told you all of this, should be telling you, oh, you're in a healing phase. Oh, it's going to last this long. This is what happened. Let's talk about it. And it's just so unfortunate that we are living in such a backwards materialistic world where we're looking for a germ, we're looking for a mysterious, we're doing genetic testing to see why your genes have caused this problem. It's just so completely off base. And so when we're really tapping into these biological laws, we're paying attention to it. You are your own doctor. You are the one who knows your story. I don't know your story. You know your story. And this helps you to pinpoint, this is when that thing happened. This is when I, you know, the make a list of the most, you know, shocking, horrible things that have ever happened to you in your life. And you'll be able to start looking and mapping out where your health condition began and why it hasn't resolved yet. Or if it has resolved, you'll say, oh, it was this. This was the news that I got. There was a, a case of someone who like they got married and the next day they had symptoms and it was like, okay, well, the marriage getting married for you was a resolution to a conflict that you were dealing with. You know, so getting married, getting divorced, getting all sorts of different things can represent that resolution for you. So the third biological law, this is the categories. This is the tissue map. So this is this big map behind me, the yellow, the orange, the red. The body is built out of different tissues, just like a house is built. We've got bricks, we have shingles, we have lumber, we have cement. We've got all these different things that come together to build a house. We have all these different tissues three different tissue layers, functionally four, that come together and have built our organs. And so when we were an embryo and we were just cell, you know, our body was just coming together, it differentiated into these different parts. And these different parts are controlled from different regions of the brain. We have the old brain, which is the oldest tissue. We have the middle brain, which is controlling the, like the cerebellum and then also the cerebral medulla and then the cerebral cortex and the ectoderm. Basically, what you need to know about all of these germ layers, all of these different parts of the body, is they behave in different ways. The old brain tissues respond with tissue growth during the active conflict. So this is the example of the 
digestive morsel. So I can't digest this. I am angry about this. An example of this is like a pancreas conflict of like an inheritance. So there's this story that Dr. Hammer gives about a, a woman who recently she lost like three or four family members, like a bunch of deaths happened in her family. And you think, oh, you know, from a psychological perspective, you say, oh, it was the deaths that caused her pancreatic cancer, but it wasn't. It was actually that one of the uncles that passed away she had expected, she said that he promised a chest, an antique chest to her. And so in her mind, it was already hers. She already knew where she was going to put it. And after, you know, the will was read, he gave the chest was given to her sister. And so she had this inherit, this morsel. She's like, I had it. It was in my mouth. I had it placed in my room, but I couldn't digest it. And so the body perceives in helps you in the only way it can. It can't go out and get the chest for you. It can't go talk to your uncle beyond the grave. All it can do is to help you to better digest. And so it proliferates additional tissue. And some people may think that, oh, well, that's ridiculous. The body doesn't. But if you pay attention to the subtleties of how your body is always responding to your environment, if you write this off as like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's simply a lack of sensitivity and entunement with your own body and how it responds to everything that you're dealing with. And so when you really get it, and that's why people have to kind of go through all the stages of all the different paradigms. And my perspective is like, you have to go through all of it to finally get here where you're open. And you're like, it's got to be something else. Cause I tried every other method, every other description and understanding, but this is the only one that hits the nail on the head. And so for her, it was not getting this morsel, not getting this chest that caused her body to adapt proliferate additional pancreatic tissue so that she could better digest this situation, you know, and she came to Hammer, they figured out what it was and she made a deal. She bought the chest from her sister and that resolved her conflict. And once that tissue, so the body builds up extra tissue during the conflict active phase. Now we've got all this extra tissue that we don't need. So the body knows that and it decomposes it naturally. We'll get to that in the fourth biological law. And so we have tissue growth tissue enhancement during the conflict for the yellow group and the old orange. So this is the dermis skin. This is the breast gland, the peritoneum, and it's a protection. The body thickens. It makes your skin thicker. It makes this tissue thicker to protect you. And the beautiful thing too, is when you start paying attention to language, you know that this is how it works. I can't stomach this. I wanted to bite his head off. I needed thicker skin struck me like bolt of lightning. You know, these descriptions are how we experience, like language came after the experience. So we've used this language to describe what the experience is. So it's giving us these clues that why would we say I can't stomach this? I, you know, it's sitting like a rock in my stomach. That's, that's what's happening. That's experientially, biologically, how your body is perceiving it, you know, and Animals, we have this basic, you know, system that animals have too. Animals also can have biological conflict shocks and they, however, don't have all of the additional conflicts of having a big cerebral cortex where we can think about things and, you know, give things meaning and revisit and relive things like a, an animal's not afraid of the concept of metastasis. But a human, you tell them, oh, you've got a lump here, but that lump could spread to other places and it can take over your body. And if you don't do this extreme treatment, you're going to die. That becomes for a person an additional shock. And so the other two tissues, we've got the new orange group and then the red group that responds with tissue loss during the active conflict, followed by tissue growth. And so when you're having a symptom, 
you have to figure out what tissue am I dealing with? Am I in the conflict active phase of tissue growth or tissue loss, or am I in the healing phase of tissue restoration or tissue breakdown? So that's the, the function of understanding that part of the map. And I really do encourage people if it's like, oh, this embryology, mesoderm, ectoderm, that seems like too much. It's not too much. It really is something that I think every individual can handle, especially those, you know, the idea is not that every single person knows every germ layer, but one person in every community, in every family, so that we have a wise woman, a wise man who we can come to with our symptoms and they can help us. And so that's really the, the community and the people that I end up attracting are the ones that are really interested in knowing the details so that they can be the one who conveys and assists and supports the community in this understanding of why their body is doing it. So for those of you who are like, oh, that's too much, someone in your group will be able to explain this to you at a level you can understand. Next, we've got the fourth biological law. And so this is where we get into the COVID stuff. This is when we look at the microbes. And Hammer discovered that microbes are a, an effect, not a cause. That they come, they are the helpers. They are the microsurgeons. They come in as the cleanup crew. So if we built up tissue during the active conflict, the microbes, they know exactly which tissues to decompose during the healing phase. So in that old yellow group, we have this the tubercular bacteria. So this is ancient mycobacteria. So it's kind of like a fungus and kind of like a bacteria. And it decomposes and breaks down tissue that's no longer needed. And you'll cough it up or it will come out in your bowels. So if you have mucus, if you have night sweats, that's an indication. Any kind of funky smell on your body, the tubercular bacteria, they are active. They are doing a job. And so the idea that we would eradicate those bacteria when you understand this system makes zero sense. Why would I kill something that is here to help me to decompose tissue that's no longer needed? If we don't have the proper bacteria during the healing phase, a tumor will encapsulate. And people you know, have had random scans and they say, oh, well, you've got an, a benign encapsulated tumor in your lung or in your breast. And it's simply because you didn't have the proper bacteria necessary to decompose that tissue. So in the old group, we've got tubercular bacteria. In the orange group, we have bacteria that helps even build up. So like a bone cancer, for example, there's erosion, loss of bone when you are devaluing yourself. Think about that. I'm devaluing. I'm feeling broken. I'm feeling less than I'm feeling not enough as a parent, as, you know, as a spouse, as an athlete. And so depending on how your body is perceiving the self-devaluation, you are losing value. You are eroding your bones. You're eroding your connective tissue. And then during the healing phase, when you get that boost of confidence, when you have that reinforcement, when you change your perspective, when you stop caring about what other people think, your body starts building up from the inside out. And it uses little bacterial helpers, staph, strep, to help to rebuild tissue. And so again, the bacteria are there for a reason. Conventional medicine looks at it and says, oh, you have a this or that infection. That means that this bad little microbe is infecting and causing a problem at this location, we must eradicate it in order for you to be okay. That is a two, we're too zoomed in. We're not zooming out and asking the question, why? Why this tissue? Why this place? Why this microbe? We're just saying it's bad. It's inflamed. It hurts. Get rid of it. <laughs> and that's, you know, really what so much of the modern medicine is, it's the medicine of those who need to get back to work. It's the medicine of those who don't have time to understand the psycho-spiritual underpinnings of what they're dealing with. They need a pill, they need to get back to work. And so this system really is about, you know, who's free? 
who knows the map of how their body works and who is a slave to symptoms and symptom suppression. And that's why this, you know, really takes on so much more than simply, why do I have a sniffle or a sneeze? It really is about freedom. Are you free? As long as people still believe in the germ theory, in the virus theory, in the immune system theory, in the cancer theory, you're not free. You're just a sitting duck waiting for something to happen. But when you understand that there's a map, there's a rhyme, there's a reason, the body does everything it does for a specific purpose, it's happening for your benefit, nothing in nature is evil, it's all meaningful, you're free. You're free. No one can ever come along and say, oh, you've got something bad and scary in your body. They can only tell you you've got something bad and scary in your body if you don't know how your body works. And that's why this totally is the map and the path to health freedom is by understanding that bacteria are helpers. What they call viruses operate in the ectoderm. And that's simply, you know, we know viruses don't exist. I know that there's probably tons of presentations about Pasteur and all the gobbledygook smoke and mirrors that virology has, you know, been just playing these games and pretending that they know what they're talking about. The viral theory is completely wrong. It's simply tissue adaptation. It's simply the ectodermal tissue during its repair phase. There are nucleic acid. There's stuff present there that's part of the repair, part of the healing process. And so when we understand that, we're not afraid of germs. We're not afraid of viruses. We're not afraid of parasites. We're not afraid of bacteria. We understand the role they play, that they have a function, and that if I want to get rid of them, I have to figure out What's going on with me? What conflict am I not resolving? What life situation am I still stuck in that's requiring the use of these microsurgeons and these helpers? And so into the fifth biological law, this is the core, this is the quintessence, this is the meaning, this is that there is nothing evil in nature which is so, so, so profound because every other model is there's an evil, there's a badness, there's an external baddie that's going to get you and it's invisible and you can't see it, but I can see it. And I'm going to tell you about it. And as long as that's present, you can't have that freedom. But when you get that there are no invisible, scary, bad things coming to get you that simply were living in this harmonious, natural world that everything has a purpose and that when we understand the cause, we'll understand what the cure is. We'll understand how to get back to homeostasis and balance. And so that's the core, that's the heart, the spirit of this. And this just, it goes so far beyond the physical manifestations. We also get into the mental manifestations schizophrenia, bipolar, masculine, feminine dynamics. It's all, it's really this, it's so all encompassing this system. I just hope that people are like, what's going on with this GNM stuff? And that you take it to the next level and investigate it for yourself. This was such a valuable crash course. Wow. I want to highlight one of the aspects that you reference and just make sure that this is driven home because the paradigm shift that is required to move from this idea that the symptoms of a so-called illness are the problem to resolve to a paradigm that says the symptoms are evidence of resolution is such a game change that I actually find myself like a many year believer still having to encourage myself to remember that, you know, like, because in functional medicine, in holistic medicine, in integrative medicine, probably in chiropractic, right? There is this idea, like, let me use natural, you know, herbal, homeopathic, whatever it is, medicine to get rid of the symptoms, right? But often when we get scared and if fear is still underpinning our relationship to our own body and experience of our so-called health, then 
the temptation of allopathic pharmaceutical medicine as the more effective intervention, even if it's just in the short term, is always going to be there, right? And that's why, you know, in my practice, there was like this very hard line, you know, there's no emergency rooms, there's no meds. Because of course, you're going to deem your particular crisis worthy of such an intervention when you're afraid, right? So when you take that understanding of the symptoms out of the picture and you say, oh, actually, what we are experiencing as symptoms is the resolution. It's already underway, right? It's already underway. Now you can support your body in whatever way is necessary and you can integrate that or you know, your, your shifting orientation towards the conflict in a way that is now brought to your awareness, but right. Like I don't know another framework or another model that offers that much of, you know, sort of get out of jail card as GNM, right. It's like a major, major piece of why makes this model not scary. Right. I'm going to pause here to let you know that this interview is a sample from an epic collection of video interview and presentation content that I am honored to host along with an all-star crew of freedom lovers. It's an incredible compendium of the myths revealed and the deceptions exposed over the past three years, as well as the way forward, which you can watch for free for 22 days, although I highly recommend supporting the mission and owning the library so that you can feel like we have your back when it comes to free thought and sovereign living from here on out. Link is in the show notes. Totally. I had an experience with someone recently where, you know, she was dealing with UTI symptoms that went to the kidneys, you know, and this whole kidney infection thing. And when we talked about the story, it made perfect sense, as it always does, territorial marking conflict, which is, you know, in the renal pelvis and in the urethra, the ureters, when you need to mark your territory, the urethra widens, the renal pelvis erodes, it gets bigger. So what? So that there's more urine so you can better mark your territory. So we losing tissue during the conflict active phase. We're in the red group. So we've got erosion, loss of tissue. And then when you resolve the conflict, she went on a trip, she returned home and ooh, these symptoms started to arise. This discomfort during urination and ooh, oh, and I feel, you know, I don't want it to go to my kidneys. It's like this whole scary cascade. And my whole perspective of that before was poor hygiene or something happened and the bacteria is crawling up the urethra. And if you don't get it in time, it's going to get to your kidneys and we better take the antibiotic that I'm very visual. And so I have this whole inner idea of how this stuff works. And so she was dealing with these symptoms, you know, caved, did the whole, you know, all the, everyone tells me I'm not normally an antibiotics person, but I normally don't like to take it, but I was scared. I was so scared. I didn't want the bad thing to happen. Didn't want to damage my kidney. And so she had a blood test. So she knew she had a kidney infection. She did the antibiotics. And while she was in, they did a blood test, like did a panel. And that's the reason she did a call with me is because she was so panicked. She was so like paranoid and hypochondria about like, what is the blood test going to say? And I get an email back from her later that day. And she's like, I can't even look it up. I'm so scared to even look what this is. She's like, they said it's a pyelonephritis. And I was like, this is what you already know that you have. They use a fancy word for the thing that you, it's a kidney infection. It's 
inflammation of the renal pelvis. It's what we already talked about. And so, but the words for her were so terrifying that she thought she had a whole different scary thing. And I was like, no, this is the thing that you're already healing. You know, so when you felt the burning, when you felt the discomfort, that was your body restoring that tissue. You know, we had to walk through when you were in the conflict for those months, erosion, loss of that tissue. And depending on how long the conflict went on, that's going to determine how long the healing phase is, how intense it is, how uncomfortable it is. But when you know that there's kind of a time limit, that there's, it's mathematical, everything about the biological laws, it's a science. It is mathematical. There is a system for understanding this, you know, this amount of conflict, this amount of tissue erosion. We, now we have this amount of healing that has to happen, this amount of tissue restoration. You can look at a, look at the calendar and you know, this is how long I'm going to be dealing with this for. And when a person has that automatically, the fear goes down automatically. They're like, okay, there's an end date to this. It's when we think, is this ever going to get better? Is this going to get worse and worse and worse? Am I going to just die of this? And I know my brain has those same inbuilt patterns from living in the fear world for so long. When I have a symptom, it's like, is it ever going to go away? And it's, of course it is. It is following a plan, a program. And once you resolve it, the tissue repair is already happening. So yeah, nothing else, no other system allows us to get out of the fear. Cause so many people are having symptoms. They're like, I need a detox. The symptom is because of my body's, you know, it's too much toxin and my body's, and that's like, when you're in a healing phase, Detoxing is kind of, is metabolically expensive. You don't want to be detoxing when you are symptomatic because your body is healing. If you want to do a detox, if you want to do a fast, a cleanse, all of that, when you're in normal homeostasis, go for it. It can be very beneficial. But when you're in healing, you know, your body needs that energy to do this repair work. And so you really want to think about why. I always, it's always the question why am I doing this? Why am I taking the natural antibiotic? Why am I taking, why am I putting this salve on it? Because I think that there's something bad here that it's going to get rid of. If you're doing it simply for soothing and support, that's, that's where it's at. Soothe yourself, support yourself. Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel comforted to do something? And often, you know, what's the, the quote, you know, nature does the healing while man kind of distracts himself with all of these fancy things. And that's what's happening is the body's already taking care of it. We just can't get out of our heads that I have to meddle. I have to do something to make it okay. Totally. To make up for the deficiencies of this body. So you sort of touched on it, but I thought it would be really helpful and illustrative with our remaining time to actually get into some like thumbnail sketches of common you know, maladies or whatever, because there are just even to offer these reframes sort of swirling around in the psychology of anyone who's listening, I think is very powerfully disruptive. And my provocateur enjoys that, <laughs> that opportunity, you know? So I wanted to sort of rapid fire, like four or five common you know, illnesses or health struggles. And for you to depict for us, like the conflict that is usually underlying these so that people can have an understanding of why it would look this way, if that is the conflict. And you touched on the first one already. I was just talking to a girlfriend about this the other day, who is, you know, very awakened to the body makes no mistakes, and was still talking about this idea of like being best to pee after sex as a woman, right? So it's, it's a good idea to pee. And, you know, otherwise you might get a UTI. And I was like, well, hold on a minute, right? Like 
what is that? We don't believe that you're like flushing out the bad bacteria. So like, why would that be related, right? Like what does this lore in, you know, female self-care of being an important thing to like urinate after sexual intercourse so that you don't get this thing. And there is an explanation even as to why that might be relevant to a woman who is experiencing so-called urinary tract infections and what right conflict might be represented in sex itself or with a particular partner. And so I wonder if you, you know, you touched on it already, but sort of talk about like, what does this have to do with, you know, with the average woman and how she relates to her sex partner, this idea of, you know, boundaries and violation and territories, and why would that ever manifest, right? Like I used to, when I was in college, I remember have recurrent, you know, so-called UTIs. And of course I thought then, you know, that it was just sort of like suboptimal sex hygiene or whatever. It's just something that happens. And that's absolutely not how I would look at it now. Mm, So yeah. So let us start with that one. So the, so the territory marking conflict for a male, it's, you know, it's his physical external territory for the woman. The territory is her sexuality. It's, it's her body or it's her children. And so when you are having a territory marking conflict, there's something going on with the dynamic between you and your sexual experience. And so when you have sex, it's the resolution of often a territory marking conflict, you know, or I know a lot of women deal with you know, kind of jealousy issues or suspicion or, you know, and when you unite with your partner, it's the resolution of I've marked my territory. And so the whole peeing, it's pretty symbolic of like, you know, this is my territory. I've marked my territory. And now the body goes into that restoration phase. So everything about the, whether or not, oh, I peed, I had symptoms, I didn't pee. That really just is anecdotal, depending on your unique experience. Cause there's women who have peed after sex and still developed the UTI. There are those who have not peed after sex and never had a UTI. And so it's, that is simply individual women's stories. And that's why we can't look at overall. Every woman who pees after sex never has a UTI. Is that true? Well, no. Well, that means that there's another completely different explanation. And that is this, that it's about territory marking. It's about whether or not she's conflicted on this topic. This one's super interesting about cervical cancer, cervical tissue adaptations have to do with a sexual frustration conflict or not knowing who my partner is. And there is lower rates, there are lower rates of cervical cancer in cultures where there are arranged marriages, which is super duper interesting because there's no question about who is my partner going to be. So if there's an arranged marriage, you're not wondering who's going to be the father of my children, who's going to be my, you know, my sexual partner. Whereas, you know, the Western woman has, you know, a whole, you know, many, many choices. Is it going to be him? Is it going to be him? Lots of opportunities for sexual frustration and not knowing who your partner's going to be. And so when we look at certain disease rates that are higher in certain cultures, we have to look at what, you know, what are the dynamics like? What's, courting and dating and relationship. What's going on with that? So that's another very, very interesting one. Skin issues, separation conflict. So the the skin is our contact point. I have a wonderful case, really great before and after pictures of a woman who got a divorce. And so, you know, she wanted to get a divorce. She was happy about that. However, she has a child. And so now the child needed to go with the ex- parent. And that was very difficult for her because she felt that that person was emotionally abusive. And every single time the child had to go with him, every time there was, you know, family counseling, every time there was a court, anything 
constantly, she was going in and out of this conflict. So she had terrible psoriasis right between her breasts and on her belly, thick, scaly psoriasis. And so the skin is also in the red group. We have tissue loss during the conflict active phase. And during the healing phase, the tissue regrows and restores. And that's when it's inflamed and itchy and uncomfortable. But if you keep ripping off the scab. So every time you see a text message, every time there's a, a meeting coming up, every time you keep going back into the conflict. And so she was doing all of the healthy things. She was sauna, she was detox, early morning sun, taking all the things and persistently for months. And it didn't change until we got to these little reminders, these little separation conflicts. Every time something happened where her child was going to be parted from her and then she got him back in her arms, that was the resolution. you know. And so we see ripping off the scab and then restoration. And so she had to develop a completely different attitude towards the ex, towards the situation. You know, She had to become aware of her reactions, her thoughts when those text messages would come through. And so that was the thing that helped her to unravel this very persistent conflict that didn't seem like it was going to go away. And you know that obviously led to more conflicts of how am I going to get in another relationship if I have this thick, scaly, you know, skin condition. So it was really cool to see her work through it, but she had to be very persistent because if she just went by her normal, natural instincts to protect her child, she's going to keep being in that conflict. But her understanding of the bigger picture and of how this reaction isn't isolated just to my, like my whole body is feeling this separation. And so I have to change something about how I'm operating. And that's the thing too, when it comes to a lot of people are like, well, how do you resolve a conflict? A conflict is resolved when it can't happen again. And that means either you've physically changed the circumstance and that's always going to be the best, the most direct way to resolve a conflict is get rid of the problem, get out of the relationship, move, go somewhere else, do something different, you know, get rid of the stimulus. But in this lady's situation, she couldn't get rid of it. It was a legal bound contract where her child had to go. And so in that circumstance, the physical reality wasn't going to change. So she had to change. And when she changed, she was able to break out of the pattern. And so you either change the situation or you change you so that you can experience that conflict in the same way again. I'll add a, you know, personal anecdote, which relates to my sweet, amazing, beautiful daughter who, when I, around my first divorce, when we moved to Miami, she developed this, basically something like a dermatitis eczema kind of a thing on her hands. And at the time, and this will also bring us to discussing allergies and the perspective on allergies through GNM. At the time, it was like really cool and the vibe to play with slime, like kids in her age group, right? And it has borax in it, which is like this known allergen or whatever. And so we decided, oh, she's allergic to slime. Poor thing. You know, like everybody else gets to play with slime and she doesn't get to, and she just has to sit there like with her like hypersensitive hands or whatever. And as I applied, you know, this perspective to it and encourage her to do the same, you know, it, it's an understanding around the separation conflict that she was experiencing, wanting to be with me, wanting to be with her dad and being, you know, half the time in each of our homes. And then she went to school and didn't at the time, you know, had conflicts around that in the setting of, you know, this two household kind of a thing. And so now, you know, if it ever flares up, that's the first point of inquiry is like, you know, are you feeling 
uncomfortable around, you know, the time you're spending here or there, or is it getting to you again, which it, it isn't a resolvable situation. So it is a matter of, you know, how do we make this, you know, unhealable wound, you know, something that she feels empowered around. And it has completely changed the relationship that we both have to this, you know, discomfort on her skin and the understanding that her body is expressing what it is that she is believing and feeling. And so tell us a little bit about how GNM looks at allergies, right? Because it's not the idea that there is this problematic substance that the body is exposed to and the immune system is tagging. It's about co-exposures at the time of the conflict, right? Totally. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing when you talk to a person and it's like, have you always had this allergy? Have you always been not able to eat bread? And they're like, well, no, <laughs> at some point I stopped being able to. And so when I decided it was the gluten or the doctor told me it's the gluten, your body's react, you know, I had an allergy test. And that's the thing is even the objective testing from the medical perspective, you know, can be correct in some sense, but it's the meaning. It's why it's happening that gets distorted. And the why is not simply that you've got an overreactive immune system, or there's some genetic breakdown or some problem. It's that the body has flagged that because it was present in your system when the conflict took place. So I'm playing a lot with slime when I'm thinking about my parents' divorce. And so slime gets tagged and it becomes something that I reminds my body. And you can see that this is very functional. We have to think about all the biological programs, not in our modern context, but in an ancient context. You know, think about the animal at the water hole who's getting a drink and there's a juniper bush right next to them. And all of a sudden they are, you know, under attack and they think they're going to die and they just get away. And so it's very functional for the body of that animal to flag the juniper bush. And so every time I smell juniper and anytime I'm near it, that I am on alert and I go back into my conflict. I build up, I have a track, it's called a track that causes my body to immediately build extra cells in my lungs, extra tissue in my lungs so that I can better absorb oxygen and get out of this death fright. And so juniper bush becomes an allergy, a track. So every time I'm exposed to it, my body is reacting. And so if we can get to the core, if we can remember what it was, there's a great case about a woman who had terrible allergy reaction. She had diarrhea every single time she had black pepper, which is kind of, you know, how many people are allergic to black pepper and have terrible diarrhea. And she remembered after finding this work that it was, you know, 40 years ago, she was a little girl and her mom was making a salad from the garden. And she told the daughter to crack some black pepper on it to cover the aphids, like the little tiny bugs that were on the fresh vegetation. And she was really disgusted by that. She had an indigestible morsel. Oh, I can't stomach this. I can't digest this that I'm eating these bugs and you've been covering it up this whole time with black pepper. And so that for her was the reason she couldn't ever have black pepper. But when she brought it out of the subconscious, and that's the cool thing too, is that, you know, these things are just stored. The body just programs. It's like, okay, yeah, no black pepper for you. It's unsafe. It's a problem. It's, it's dangerous to you to have black pepper. And so when you see it though, when you bring it out of the subconscious, when you see the whole story, when you understand that I'm safe, it's okay to eat this, this, you know, there aren't bugs on this, that this is hiding. You bring this conscious light to it. The whole thing can resolve and people have successfully resolved all sorts of allergies, foods that they could never eat because they had terrible reactions to it by seeing. And that's the beauty of this work is it really does give you this very tangible pathway to personal evolution and growth. And what is it 
what happened to me when I was a child, what happened to me in the womb, even that caused my body to be hyperreactive to this or that substance or this or that, you know, certain situations sound, you know, people have aversions to anything you have an aversion to. There's a reason, you know, there's a reason that your body has flagged that frequency of music or that, you know, that time of year. It's not the pollen because there are so many people around you that aren't reacting to the pollen in the same way. It's that it got flagged in you for a specific reason. So what about, I want to ask two more. What about the flu? We would be remiss if we didn't touch on, on the good old flu. What is the GNM perspective on so that? What do you mean by flu? <laughs> right, exactly. I knew I was going to be like, and the 8,000 symptoms that are now included under that. Okay, so let's say cough, and that's not even typically a flu symptom. I'm like thinking of the ever-expanding list of symptoms that have been encompassed under recent diagnostic shifts. Okay. So let's say like fever, body aches, and some like upper respiratory stuff. Okay. And so this is, and especially when we're looking at the context of the whole scandemic and everything that's happened, the bronchial mucosa responds to a territorial fear. So that can be literally any threat in your territory, in the air that you're breathing. And that's why these respiratory viruses are such a perfect vector, a perfect tool for mass panic and mass hysteria. And they manifest exactly what we are afraid of, which is I get afraid of you being sick or of you being vaccinated. I get afraid of something in my territory, in my environment. I have a fear. I don't feel safe. And so the biological adaptation reaction is to widen the bronchial mucosa so I can get more air into my lungs. Once again, we have to think about it. What can the body do for us? If I'm not feeling safe to breathe this air, I'm not feeling safe in my territory. The body's like, all right, more oxygen in, let's get out of this. Let's get out of this situation. And so we have erosion of tissue. Also, if there's body aches, we're looking at a self-devaluation conflict. So I'm not feeling, you know, confident. I'm not feeling good about myself. I'm not feeling like, oh, I have to, you know, give an example of someone who feels like they have to go to their job during a pandemic and they're so afraid of everything that's going on. So they're devaluing themselves and they have a fear. And so, you know, and this is why we see a lot of times people, you know, if they got the injection and they felt a sense of relief and then they get symptoms, it's because they've resolved their belief in the Activity of the injection in their body made them believe, oh, I'm safe now. And that's why, you know, people will get the injection and then have the symptoms of what? Of COVID, of what we're saying is the virus. And they're like, oh, thank God I got the vaccine because otherwise I would, you know, it would have been so much worse. But when you understand this map and why their body does what it does and their beliefs and why they, how they perceived the injection, we could understand your expression of symptoms makes perfect sense. And so, and a person who didn't get it and who, who isn't interested even in, you know, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, they're like, well, I got COVID. <laughs> and it's like your body adapted to a specific life event. There was tissue loss and then you resolve that conflict and now there's tissue repair. And, and that's where we really have to understand that there is nothing to get. If you, you know, like think about how do you feel when you're around certain people who have been symptomatic, who we have to look beyond particles. We have to look at energy and experience and vibes and like, Ooh, how do I feel when I'm around you? Do I feel safe? Or do I feel like, do I, you know, and we're, we've all been raised with the idea of contagion. 
And so even if you're super crunchy, you still have been raised in a culture in, the, in an environment where the idea of contagion is a thing. And so being around someone who's symptomatic automatically makes you feel unsafe. And so that's the whole, but, but everybody got it after so-and-so had it, you know, like, so if some people really get stuck, it appears as though something was caught from person to person. And that's where we have to look at what was the experience? How were you feeling? How were they feeling? What was the environment like when, you know, prior to you developing these symptoms? And always makes sense when we break down this scenario, what was going on with your aunt and your sister and everybody in the family, like what was going on that, and we can see the pieces. So when you put it together, it always makes sense. And it's territorial fear, self-devaluation. When you resolve that, you're going to have body aches, cough, and fever. Amazing. Amazing. And lastly, what about right versus left-sided breast cancer and subsequent lung metastases, which is like a very common manifestation for women of terminal, you know, cancer experiences. And of course the recruitment of the system, not only to, you know, screen for and diagnose, but then, you know, treat with allopathic interventions. What is, cause this was one of my first introductions to how much sense, you know, this, this model can make out of something that really otherwise seems like a random bad thing that can happen to any woman who has breasts, you know? Yeah. So we've got two types of tissue in the breast that can develop tissue adaptation. There's the breast gland and then the breast duct. And so the breast gland is part of the old orange group. And so it proliferates additional tissue during the active conflict. So we have more breast gland tissue. The root conflict is a worry. So I'm worried about my loved one. And so if I, when I clap, if my right hand is on top, so our, this is a very brilliant way that the body is, is divided into the right left halves. It's how your brain is also wired and people who have left dominance, they're wired differently, which is also just biologically makes sense when you understand conflicts that we'd want to have some people who are wired differently because certain conflicts can kind of cause you to change your adapt in a way that could take you out of the race. <laughs> so there are conflicts that go on for such a long time that you may not survive the healing phase. So the body has a split of right-handed and left-handed. When you are right dominant, your right side, your dominant side is your partner side. So this is going to be related to your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, basically anybody who's not your mother or child can show up on the partner side. And then on your non-dominant side, that's your mother-child side. And when you have a worry, if you're a right-handed woman and you are very, very worried about a child who's injured, your left breast glands are going to increase in size so that you can produce more breast milk to help that offspring to survive their whatever they're dealing with. And then when you go into the healing phase, the body starts to decompose and break down. So that's, if you've got like, you know, smelly discharge happening, that means you're in the healing phase and the body is breaking down that adaptation that's no longer needed. The other type of adaptation is the duct, which is actually more common than the gland is ductal, you know, IDC, intraductal carcinoma. That is the duct is widening. So this is similar to what we talked about with the bronchial mucosa and the urethra. So those are all the red group. We've got widening of the duct during the active conflict. And this is a separation. This is feeling like someone has been torn, you know, like your lover has been torn from your breast. You know, where does a woman kind of associate her lover, you know, at her breast? And so if there's an infidelity, if there's a divorce and she feels as though he has been ripped from her flesh, 
the body will erode and widen the breast duct. And it's because the most primal separation is between mother and baby. And so if you've lost your baby and you, you know, just had it, you want to be able to dump off the breast milk that's no longer being used because you've been separated from your offspring. So that's kind of the primal reasoning for the meaning behind why the breast duct erodes. And then when you resolve it, when you, you know, often what will happen is a woman will have a breakup or they'll have a divorce or something shocking happens in their relationship that causes the separation conflict to begin. And then when she gets into another relationship, when she now has the man at her breast, once again, she's closed the loop, she's resolved it. And then, Ooh, feel a lump. And when you feel the lump in the case of a ductal adaptation, that is when the body is in the healing phase. That is when the tissue is repairing, but how you feel your perception at the moment of you detecting the lump, you know, that's our first opportunity for a conflict shock related to the healing phase. And so if you have that, Oh no, and then you look it up and then you, you know, you're thinking about it every day. This is where if you equate breast cancer with death, with, oh my gosh, like, a, like I'm destined, I'm on a path now towards my demise because I felt this at that moment. If you feel like this is a death fright for you, that's why the lungs will cause an adaptation there because what's the death fright? That is, I need to breathe in more oxygen in order to survive this. And then, you know, if you go in and you have it, you know, further looked at and poked and prodded and they tell you, oh, yes, it is the bad thing you thought that it was, you know, even the strongest mind when you're being told by an official in their, you know, in their white coat telling you it's this, it's bad. If you don't X, Y, Z, this is going to happen. And that is, you know, it is absolute malpractice. It is the absolute most horrible thing. And this is, Dr. Hammer, you know, he went through a lot in his time because of these radical discoveries he made and they were completely, he was just shut out, shut out, shut out, medical license taken away. You can't, and, and this information has been around, which is why this truly is the greatest crime in all of history, because women are still being told that they've got something scary inside of their breast and forced into treatment that they often do not want to do. Most women like that I know that they just really don't want to do it, but they feel like, what if I don't do this, then the worst thing is going to happen to me. And that is just the most heartbreaking and egregious, horrible thing that's happening to, to women, to all humans who are in the old medicine, in this old model, in this materialistic idea that germs and genes and bad invisible things inside of your body are making you sick rather than it's my experience that's adapting for my benefit and that my body's doing exactly what it needs to do to help me to survive this. And if I can connect these dots and understand the meaning, my body will go back to homeostasis. It will go back to balance. And so, yeah, metastasis is not, and this is an interesting thing too, is they don't cross tissues and microbes do not cross germ layers. They stay in their lane. They stay in their germ layer. Otherwise we would see you know, cancers that just eat through the entire whole body. But we don't see that, you know, because it's not one cell next to another cell mutating another. Cell. It's not like that. It is has to do with these tissues, these germ layers and these shocks. And, and this is provable. It's provable by the brain scan. All the 
evidence exists for this model. They've actually done, Hammer did university panels where they'd give him like eight cases and, you know, show him the brain scan and give him a file. He never even talked to the client. He knows exactly what was going on with him. He could predict, oh, you've got a bleeding ulcer just by looking at the brain scan. And the, you know, he was approved by these, these panels of doctors, but it's never been officially taken and he's never officially allowed his thesis to be looked at for obvious reasons. And so it's very, very unfortunate, which is why it's on the individuals who are, you know, seeking that freedom to find this map so they can use it for their own benefit, because it's just the ignorance of it that allows us to be taken in by this fairy tale, this fantasy, this dark fairy tale of disease coming from these entities. This is such a valuable hour. I want to say like, you're welcome to everybody (laughs) who has been listening. Because, you know, if there is a framework that can support the resolution of victim consciousness on the body level, can bring you into alliance and allegiance with your body so that you are never susceptible to the ultimate of these psyops, which is to pit you against you in allegiance to the system, right? And just playing out that Cartman triangle on really scary levels. It is. It is this model. And even if you just consult it, right? It doesn't have to be like your religion. It doesn't have to be like your replacement for all of the medicine you've ever used. Just to consult it, you will find that there is typically, right? Like going to be peaked curiosity to self-discover. And that is, right? Like you said, it's the path. And it's ultimately the path home to yourself. And I know that, you know, we have colleagues we've been talking about the how interesting it would be for more modern research to be done and how accessible it is to do this research. You know, of course, absent the the funding, it becomes very challenging. And I see it coming, you know, I can see it being very possible that you and your your colleagues, you know, organizing around more formalized research and, and scientific investigation along these lines. And in the meantime, you know, simply the, the patterns that have been codified, I think are so helpful and so empowering. And your personal knowledge base is so inspirational and your energy, you know, that's why I trust and endorse your personal work is because it feels good <laughs> to be in your energy, right? Like you're walking the walk, you're transmitting these teachings through such an authentic vessel of your own embodiment. And I'm so grateful to you, Melissa, and truly consider you such a prized resource in my own life and those, you know, that I might point in your direction. So thank you so much for this incredible hour. Oh, it was an honor. I feel like such just a vessel for this, you know, like just nature is like, yeah, she's going to talk about it. And that's how I feel. It's like, it just makes sense to me. It's so, it just resonates on all the levels. And I just so passionate about sharing it and getting it to the people because it is the path to freedom. So thank you guys. Thank you all of the team for this event. And yeah, I'm really excited for those who are going to get turned on by this information. Amazing. We'll make sure that the resources and links are available. Thanks, Melissa. Mm -hmm, For sure.